Amen. Thank you so much. Acts chapter 13 is our text today. We invite you to join in with us as we study the Word of God uh, line upon line, uh, verse by verse. We're making our way through the book of Acts. Some call it the Acts of the Apostles. Others call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so we are just delighted to have you join in with us. My name is Danny Forshe. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Hills. We have some wonderful uh, pastors and directors and ministers in our church, wonderful deacons, wonderful connect groups, small group leaders. And I'm just so privileged and honored to be able to preach God's word today to you, whether you're online or whether you're here, 10,000. Uh, 500 Jollyville Road. Uh, we're delighted to have you join in with us. So it's Acts chapter 13. You know, initially I, I thought big. I thought, you know what, I'm going to cover verses 1 through 12. Then I got to studying and I made it to verse 4. So that's about as far as we're going to get. Okay, the, the Bible is just replete, saturated with so much truth and encouragement as well as conviction. The older I get and the more I walk with the Lord, I, I always want to keep this couplet in my mind and in my heart and in my preaching, truth with grace, righteousness with love. And I see it personified, beautifully epitomized in the Lord Jesus Christ and his church and his people, especially in the early church. So we're in Acts chapter 13. I can't wait to share this message with you. It's called the church triumphant. And this will be part one. And next week we'll go through uh, verse 12. All right, y'all ready? Ready to read the Word of God? Wasn't that a sweet time of worship this morning? Man, that was so good. Thank you, Lord. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, it's Antioch of Syria. That would be 300 miles north of the church in Jerusalem. There were certain prophets and teachers. Please underscore that. These are prophets as well as teachers. And the good Dr. Luke, who is a historian, he's a medical doctor, highly trained uh, detailed, a man of detail, gives us the names of the pastor, teachers, elders, leaders at the church there at Antioch on the Orontes River. He says, here are their names, Barnabas, we know him, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. That would be none other than one of Herod the Great's sons, Manan was a foster brother. He was raised in the same home and Saul. Those were the leaders, the pastor shepherds of the church there at Antioch. Now, as they liturgero, liturgero, what does that sound like? Liturgy. That's where we get our word liturgy. As they worshiped, as they ministered to the Lord. Don't you love that? That worship was never meant to be something passive or entertainment-based. It was always meant for the people of God to be just in worship to God. It's an active, it's an aggressive, it is a hands-lifted confession of sin, preaching the word, fasting, coming together, all about Jesus Christ. And the church at Antioch, that's what they did. They came together and they ministered to the Lord. I, I just want to ask something. Will the Lord be ministered to today at Great Hills? Amen. I really, I hope and pray that the Lord would be pleased and say, I was ministered to by the, some of you are looking at me going, but wait a minute, Pastor, I, I, do you know what effort it took for me to get here? I mean, I am here and I'm ready to be blessed and I'm ready to be ministered to. Watch this. I get that. But as you say, Lord, what a privilege to be here. God, I love you. You are awesome and I worship you. Watch what happens. You get blessed. That's just the way God works, the way he operates. 
And they ministered to the Lord and they fasted. More about that later. The Holy Spirit said, whoo, come on now. The Holy Spirit speaking in a worship service. Now, aorist imperative. Really, the Greek reads, indeed now. <laughs> Y'all with me? I'm serious. It's like the Holy Spirit's like, this is going to shock you, what I'm about to tell you. You may not even like what I'm about to tell you, but I am God and you are not, so listen up. Can I just translate it this way? The Holy Spirit said, give me your best. <laughs> Two of the five pastors that are on your staff, I want them. I'm ready to send them out to do a greater work for the kingdom of God. Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul. Some of y'all are going, no, not them. <laughs> Take some of these other guys who, who are uh, uh, Serene, Manan, these other people, Simeon. Take those guys. Holy Spirit said, nope, give me these guys. Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which, Holy Spirit says, I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, uh, the church got all mad, told God, no way, go ask somebody else, we're done here. Aren't you glad that's not what the Bible says? The Bible says, no, they fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them. Some of y'all are like, is that why y'all do that in deacon ordinations and pastoral ordinations? And I've always wondered, where in the Bible would they lay hands on people? Here it is. What does this signify? It signifies a way of commissioning and favor and God uh, blessings be upon you, Barnabas and Saul, and they sent them away. Sent them away. So being sent by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Well, let's just stop right there. Adonai Judson is one of my heroes. He was born 1788, and he died in 1850. He graduated from an Ivy League school, Brown. By the way, all the Ivy League schools were started as training grounds for pastors. I don't know if you knew that or not. Things have changed, by the way, from Brown and Princeton and Harvard and Yale and so forth. They originally began as training seminaries, colleges, because God was doing such an amazing work in America. America needed pastors. So they went to the highest education institutions. So Brown, you can remember Brown is always associated with Baptist because of the B. Presbyterians would be associated with Princeton. And so Adnan Judson graduated from Brown. His, pa his dad was the pastor of a congregational church, but he was a deist. That's fascinating to me. How can you be raised in a godly home? Your dad is a pastor. And Adnan Judson said, yeah, that's good for him. And by the way, Adonai, who's he named after? Named after the Lord. And he's 20 years of age. He graduates from Brown University. He has no relationship with the Lord, even though he's been raised in church, raised in a Christian home. And he becomes a wanderlust. It's kind of like a German wanderlust. It sounds like, a, like it is. He's a wanderer looking for anything to gratify his flesh. You're like, wait a minute, that's the 18th century? I thought that was the 21st century. Man, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And he's like, look, I'm going to live it up. I know what my dad believes. I know what my mom believes. That's not what I believe. A deist, by the way, somebody who says, yeah, there may be a God, like Benjamin Franklin would say, there may be a God, but he's like the master watchmaker. He winds up the watch, he lets it alone, and it just ticks on by itself. In other words, he created it, set it in motion, but he has no dealings with his creation. 
Adnan Justin says, sounds good to me. He had a buddy named Jacob Eames. Jacob Eames was from Belfast, Maine, and Jacob was the one who really seduced his mind and pulled him away from Orthodox Christianity into deism. And so Adnan Judson, he is, he's traveling through uh, New England and he comes to an inn, I-N-N, today we'd call it a hotel, a motel or whatever. And he gets a room and he notices that next to the, his room, there is some poor sick soul in the room next to him. In fact, Adnan Justin said, I could not sleep all night because all I could hear was this guy going, oh, 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 oh. It was just moaning and groaning. And he was like, he got up the next morning and he went to the hotel clerk. He goes, sir, what happens? This guy over here in the room right next to me, he sounded like he was in tremendous pain and agony. The clerk says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, but this young man just graduated from college. He died last night in our hotel. He goes, oh, that's terrible. He goes, what was his name? Says, his name was Jacob, Jacob Ames. And Adnan Judson was just shocked. They were good friends. They had parted ways after graduation. And, and lo and behold, at the same hotel at the same time, and Jacob Ames, he says, he slips into eternity. And Adnan Judson's heart began to ache. He began to question his deism. He began to question all the, the, the things that his, the, his friends had been embracing. And so he gives his, um, well, first of all, he goes to Andover Theological Seminary. He becomes a student of the seminary. Now, he's not a Christian yet, but uh, he goes to seminary because he's just, I mean, really, Jacob's death changed that dime Judson. And so he goes to seminary, and at the age of 20, he gives his life to Christ. He genuinely is born again by the Holy Spirit of God. His mom's thrilled. His dad's thrilled. And he says, I'm going to surrender to the ministry like my dad. And, and the mom is like, woohoo, this is awesome. And a church comes up, a church that is real close to their home. And the mom is just thrilled beyond thrilled because why? They're going to be close to mom. Now, those of you that have children or are in the ministry, you know that would just be a dream, right? To have your kids close to you. Look, when Ashley and I, we had our three kids and all of them were in the ministry, we had no idea where these guys would end up. Uh, two of them got right with God and they stayed in Austin, you know. The other one is wayward and he's up in Dallas. I'm just kidding. We, you don't know. You don't know where your kid's going to end up. So Adnan Judson, true story, came to his mom his dad and said, Mom, Dad, you know I love you. But I met this girl, and she's amazing. Her name is Ann Hazeltine, and we both feel that God is not only calling us to get married, but God is calling us to be missionaries. When you read the life of Adnan Judson, I highly recommend the biography. It's called To the Golden Shore. And men and women, if you want to read something that is absolutely riveting, and that will change your life. Read that book. It talks about how Anne dies on the mission field. He gets married again. She dies on the mission field. He goes into abject depression. You think this poor guy is not going to live. But what they did by going is they set a trail. So many people through these centuries, now these last couple hundred years, have come in behind Anne and Adonai and Judson and followed Christ. That's the kind of thing that's happening here in this text in the church at Antioch. And I was, couldn't wait to share this with you, but I guess I'll go ahead and tell you. 
I was amazed this week as I was studying and asking our staff for some help. 39 people from Great Hills Baptist Church, 39 that we know of, have surrendered to the gospel ministry and now are on the mission field or at seminary training to follow Christ. I love that. I think our churches are at our best when we are sending our best. So today I want to look at the church at Antioch with you. There are four characteristics of the church then that I think serve as a model, a template for the church today. In fact, my friend, Dr. Ken Hemphill, he wrote an entire book called The Antioch Effect. The Antioch Effect, he traces like eight salient features, characteristics of the church at Antioch then, which is so pertinent and applicable to the church today. And so today what we're going to get to do is we get to study God's word. We get to go line upon line. We get to find out who these people are, these prophets, these teachers. We're going to get to know where Cyprus is. I'll show it to you on the map. Aren't you excited? Yes, we get to study the word of God. And as we do, I really believe in all my heart, and I've practiced this now since I was 17 years of age. I've been preaching since I was 17. Not bad for 10 years of preaching, right? Amen. 17. And then I got saved like Adnan Judson when I went to Christian school, actually became a Christian at 19. And then from 19 to 56, I've just given all my life, what little intellect I have, what kind of abilities I have, I've given it all for the glory of God, all for the furtherance of his kingdom, and all for the didactic, systematic, expositional, exegetical teaching of the word of God. Why? Because I want your hearts to be full. I want your minds to be full. I want you to be able to step out into the world with the full armor of God, speaking grace in truth, righteousness in love, and being the people of God that he wants you to be. The first characteristic I want you to notice with me today is the church at Antioch really focused on good doctrine. You can call it doctrine. You can call it teaching. Didache is the Greek word. It's where it's the... The English or the Greek didasco, it means to I instruct or I teach. You can call it orthodoxy, theology, but doctrine was preeminent in the church of Antioch. Now, it's hard for me to really capture what's happening in Antioch. People, listen, miracles were happening, uh, healings, salvations, sending out of missionaries. And all of those things were wonderful, but it all was rooted first and foremost in the systematic teaching of Paul and Barnabas and these men that we're going to look at. He mentions three other men. He calls them prophets and teachers. Prophets would be people who foretell and foretell. Now, it's maybe good for you to jot that down. Fourth tale, which I think that's the best of prophetic preaching, but there's an element of foretelling, like God spoke to me and this is what is going to happen. By the way, God still does that. And in the book of Deuteronomy, if you want to tell between a true prophet and a false prophet, it's very easy. When the true prophet says, God spoke to me and this is going to happen, it happens. A false prophet says, God spoke to me, this is going to happen, it doesn't happen, don't listen to him. Okay, he's a false prophet. But these guys were genuine, true prophets of God. And then you had teachers. Ah, teachers. Those who studied the Old Testament gave solid, biblical, exegetical teaching. Look, they didn't have this. They didn't have the New Testament, uh, you know, when this is written or when these... Luke wrote 
this book, Acts, in A.D. 63. Okay, so this is years later. This is A.D. 40 or 50. And so they're studying, they're teaching the Word of God. Let's look at these men. Simeon, who is called Niger. He was a black man. That's where they get that word. That's sad, isn't it? That's really sad. But he was a black man, probably from Africa. Niger, Simeon. Uh, you got Lucius, who was from Serene. We know where that is. Serene is northern Africa. I think that's probably where Simeon was from. So you got the staff of Jews and Gentiles. You got black people. You got tan people. You got all kinds of colors of people. You got the first really radiant, triumphant church. And I'm telling you, it's the same today as it was then. The church knows no racial boundaries. For them, the most segregated hour of worship, segregated hour of living was not the worship service like it is in our church and most churches in America. Seems like most black churches worship with black people. Most Hispanic people worship with Hispanic people. Most white folk worship with white folk. But I just want to tell you something, in heaven it's not like that. We're not going to be separated and segregated and I don't think we should be today. I, I think we ought to open up the doors, come, come Come. So Simeon, you got Lucius of Serene, and um, then you got this next guy, Manian. Now, this was fascinating to me. He had been brought up with Herod the Tatriarch. Sumtrophos is the word brought up together, meaning he was a foster brother. Herod Tatriarch is the person who was the son of Herod the Great who had... Um, persecuted the church greatly, killed, had John the Baptist executed. Now, he got that from his father, Herod the Great. Remember in the Christmas narratives how he's going to kill all the babies, you know, two years of age and under? That's Herod the Great. Herod the Tatriarch, this guy, was the same way. And yet it says <laughs> that this Menean was brought up in the same home as Herod uh, the tetriarch. And I find that just so fascinating how two people can be raised in the same home and one become a mighty pastor and a preacher and a teacher and a champion for the gospel while the other totally rejects it and actually becomes an arch persecutor of the gospel. Isn't that fascinating to you? It's fascinating to me, but it also speaks to me of the power of God. Look, mm -mm, when God Want somebody, he gets them. It doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter who they are. I mean, the sovereign hand of God reaches deep in the black hole of humanity. And God says, I want them. And God gets them. And he saves them. And he calls them into the gospel ministry. To me, that is just a beautiful portrait of the grace of God. Oh, let me tell you something. If God's after you, he's going to get you. Some of you are like, well, I want him to come after me. Well, he will. And when he comes, surrender. You say, yeah, but you don't know my, my background. Were you raised with a murderer? Well, you don't know what I did. Have you murdered anybody like Saul? Well, you don't know. I don't know really if God could save me and call me. Yes, he can. He can and he desires to. I wonder if somebody in this room Somebody listening online that the Spirit of God is chasing you. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says the hounds of heaven are 
nipping at your heels and the hounds of heaven have your scent and the Holy Spirit of God is, he's drawing you to repentance and faith and surrender. And I'm, I'm compelled to say this to you today, give up to God, just give up. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and say, God, I am your child. I believe, I repent, I surrender my life to thee, O God, I am all in. I ask you to do that today. Surrender your life to Christ. You say, but if I surrender to God, oh my word, he might make me miserable and call me to do what you do and be a pastor or a missionary. Glory to God that he would love you so much that he would select you and call you unto himself and then enable you and empower you to be a preacher of the gospel. Man, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm way off of my notes. Let me get back. Second characteristic of this church is they were a generous church. Boy, were they. Generosity is always a principle of a vibrant, healthy church. And they ministered to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit said unto me, give me your best. And they did. Two of the five? I mean, come on. I guess the dynamic equivalent would be, we got 27 full-time employees here at Great Hills. About 12 or 13 of us are pastor, director, minister types. I'm not really good with math, but if two, if he takes two of the five, then he would take like, wow, what is that? Five or six of the 12 or something to that effect. I mean, that's, that's heavy. And I'm so appreciative to the early church here at Antioch they didn't hold, like Corey Tim Boom said, don't ever hold anything you've got so tenaciously because it's going to be real painful when God starts to pry your fingers open. Just hold it loosely. When I was pastor at Liberty uh, Baptist Church in Hampton, Virginia, I served there for 18 months as a, I'd preach four times on Sunday and then I would drive back midnight, Sunday night, and start my real job, which was a professor at a, at a seminary. And I did that for 18 months until my wife had a conversation with me. And it went something like this. Basically, what are you going to do when you grow up? <laughs> you know, you, you can't keep this pace. Are you going to be a professor? Are you going to be a pastor? And so I said, I, I don't know what to do. Well, what ended up happening is the church called me to be their pastor, and I served there for five years after I had been there for 18 months. And it was just one of those, it was one of those times in your life or in your ministry, in your church, where we had, I remember 30 people lined up just on one Sunday to join the church. It was just like revival. That church today, I think they run about 10,000. They have six campuses and while I was pastoring there, we planted a church. And the church that we planted is called Water's Edge. And the pastor that we sent out was our, one of our best. He probably was the best preacher on the staff. His name was Stuart Hodges. And so I remember very clearly, I said, Stu, are you ready to go? And that's, that's kind of, does that sound familiar? Stu, you ready to go at Great Hills Baptist Church? We did the same thing. And Stuart Hodges took about 60 of our people we commissioned them. That church today is running 2,000 with five, I think, campuses. And I look back at that and going, God, 
thank you for this principle of generosity. When you give your best, I think sometimes God's just smiling going, you don't want to trust me? You don't want to trust me. Trust me and see what I do. At Great Hills, remember, we planted Cornerstone Church when we were in abject poverty. We, we really didn't know how we were going to make it at the end of the year. We didn't have eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars to to pay and to... Those of you that have been around us enough to know that 600000 of that was due for debt. And yet we felt God compelled to, to plant a church. So we did. Now I'm feeling God compelled in me to plant a, a, another church. And we're doing this during a pandemic. Some of you are like, you picked the most horrible times to plant churches. But let me, let me tell you this. When you step out on faith and you trust God, God will not be in debt to anybody. God says, do what I tell you to do and watch what I do. And he's so good at that. It just takes our faith and our trust to step out. It's a wonderful truth. It's true for individuals as well as families and churches. You just, you just can't outgive the Lord. The next characteristic of the church at Antioch, such a great church. I call this principle the principle of worship, Jeff. It's so powerful. Verses 2 and 3. Now they ministered to the Lord. Liturgio, liturgy. The word literally means to obey, to worship and obey. It's a present participle, meaning they kept on in a state of worshiping and ministering to the Lord. I love that. Don't miss that little prepositional phrase. Y'all ready for this? To the Lord. To him. And that's what we do in, in corporate worship. It's, it's so Jesus-directed, so Holy Spirit-honoring, so God the Father-directed. You know, Brother Terry, our executive pastor, whenever he prays, when he prays for a worship service, by the way, every one of you, I just want you all to know you have been prayed for. Every person sitting in this room has been prayed over and prayed for. And Terry always prays, God, may it be a vertical expression of passionate worship to Almighty God. And when we come in here, our desire is not so much genre, not so much preferences. And, and our, our desire is, and Jeff does a great job of this, of capturing the essence of the text. And when the pastor preaches on the text, we would have already sung about the text. It's so textual driven, so God honoring. And I believe those are the churches that God just smiles upon. It's not so you know, we got a rock star preacher. You know, you know, you know we, no, that's not, I'm, I'm not a rock star preacher. I, I'm not a, a cool cat. Cool left me many years ago. I am a preacher of the word of God. That's all I have. That's all I desire to have is to preach the word of God because it's God's word. When God's word is preached, Jeff, and when it's sung, the Holy Spirit has an affinity with that. And God blesses in the ways that God wants to bless. They were fasting and praying. You don't hear many sermons about that, do we? Fasting and praying. That's not real fancy. That's not real, that's not real appealing to 21st century church in America. Fasting and praying and the Holy Spirit spoke. Um, you know, we've been praying together on Tuesday nights now for a number of weeks. And we're going to do it again. People keep asking me, well, how long are we going to do this? I guess I'm just going to keep doing it until the Lord says quit doing it. 
And so we, we're going to gather together again on Tuesday night at, at 7 o'clock. Ashley and I, we were, it was so funny. We were in uh, El Tavar. Sounds like Jafar. Ashley, we, were, we were in the Grand Canyon. I went skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing. I didn't do any of that. But I, I went through the Grand Canyon, went down in the canyon with my wife. We had a blessed time. Tuesday night, we were eating dinner. And I bet the people in that restaurant thought we had lost our mind. Ashley's phone was open. My phone was open. And we were praying and praising God with Great Hills Baptist Church through our prayer ministry. It was, it was phenomenal. It was wonderful. Do y'all know we had like 400 people in prayer meeting Tuesday night? Now, don't get too excited because only 17 were in the room. <laughs> and 10 of them were staff. 400 people from all over the planet. Pray for me. This is amazing. Will y'all do this next week? People not even associated with our church. As we pray, why don't y'all fast with me this week? Anybody want to miss a meal or two? Some of you are like, oh, please, Lord, shut him up. No, I got I to gotta eat. So maybe digital fast, maybe miss a meal or two like I'm, I'm going to try to do on Tuesday. And then we come together and we pray and just pray to the Lord and seek the face of God and see the glory of God and hear the voice of God. And I tell you, we can do a lot of things after we pray, but we can't do anything before we pray. Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I am calling them to. One writer says, these were the two most eminent and gifted leaders that they had. And God called them. God chose them and sent them out. And this is my last point here is missions. That's always a characteristic, an attribute of a dynamic biblical church. There's doctrine where what you believe is important where you have men of God, women of God who teach the word of God, you place a priority and emphasis, core value. Number one at Great Hills Baptist Church is we will teach, we will preach the word of God. Number two is generosity. We want to be a generous people. We'll give even whatever God wants us to give. We'll give our best. We'll commission people. We'll send them out. We have to give up some of our staff. We give them up. We send them out. We don't want to hold anything too tightly. We just want to be open and obedient to God. Number three is worship. Mm, mm, worship. Where it's vertical. It's passionate. We're praying. We're listening. We're fasting. We're praying. And we're praying some more and saying, oh, God, fall down. I really believe there is a direct correlation between the prayers of God's people during the week and the presence of God on Sunday. Y'all okay with that? If that's true, we need to pray. I sense sometimes that, you know, when we're, you're up here leading worship, Jeff and Lori, God bless y'all. God's so good to bring y'all to us and lead us. Um, amen. I wish all of us would be as excited as Jeff. Just check your heart a moment. When he was up here leading us in worship, what were you experiencing? What, what was going through your mind? 
Will your hands raise? Well, I don't have to raise my hands. I'm no Baptocostal crazy person. Well, okay. I, will your hands raise? Was your, was your face bowed? I mean, we can ask them. They were up here looking at us. Can I just tell y'all something? Whenever you're leading worship or whenever you're preaching, when the congregation is duly engaged, it just goes a lot better. <laughs> it's just a lot more freedom, a lot more joy. Can you imagine worshiping God at the First Baptist Church of Antioch, Syria? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul getting up and preaching the Word of God? Can you imagine the people standing to their feet saying, Glory to God, we might die today from believing this message. But preach, Paul, tell us some more. Come on, Barnabas, get up here and give us a word of exhortation. Come on, Simeon. Come on, Manan. God bless you, brothers. Give us the word. We're desperate for God. We, we need God. We want to pray to God. We want to fast before God. We want, look, let me tell you something. The thing that we need the most in this city is for Great Hills Baptist Church to be on fire for God. That's, that's what this city needs. Desperate, desperate for it. Verse 3 and 4, they fasted, they prayed. Separate to me. Now, somebody asked, what did that sound like? How did they hear the Holy Spirit say, separate to me, Barnabas and Saul? One writer I read said they believe it was one of the prophets. <laughs> Bless his soul. How would you like to be the prophet? Holy Spirit says, uh, go tell them they need to give up Paul and Barnabas. Just go tell them. And the poor prophet gets up there and goes, um, I got, God wants Paul and Barnabas. I imagine some of them were like, you shut, shut your mouth. You sit down. God's not going to tell us to do something so, so radical. He's like, no, I'm telling you, I believe God has spoken to me. Give these men. And so they did. Verse 4 says, the Holy Spirit sent them out. Now, some of you are thinking, wow, if the Holy Spirit sent them out, then it's going to be amazing and pain-free. <laughs> oh, church, it was amazing. But you're going to walk with me through these next few days at the rate I'm going, months and years. We'll walk through the missionary journeys of Paul. Oh, my goodness. It was amazing. It was extraordinary, but it was so fraught with pain and suffering. Isn't God just like that? Not that I will exempt you. Not that I will take your suffering away. But I will walk with you. I will help you. I will not leave you. That's the way of God. That's the plan of God. I'm praying for so many people. I'm praying for people in our church and out of our church who are walking such a dark, hard, hard path. And instead of them being out of the will of God, they are precisely they're in the will of God. Tom, you're in the will of God. Rich, you're in the will of God. Don't stop. Don't quit. Just because hard times come does not mean you've missed God. It could mean that you absolutely heard Him correctly. Oh. Every week I, I share this message with 60 pastors in South Asia. It 
takes about a half a day of work. But I've committed to it. Um, you say, well, how much do you get paid for that? It actually costs me. I have to pay them to work and teach. 60 pastors in, and I can't even say the nations. They're persecuted. They're called of God. And they listen to me teach them the book of Acts every week on a closed circuit YouTube channel tucked away in here in our media suite. So many times when I'm teaching those guys, I just want to stop and say, "Um, guys, here, would y'all teach me? I don't know what it's like to be persecuted. I don't know what it's like to pastor 10 people and under a tin roof. And these people are so hungry for the word of God. What a privilege it is. It's called the theology of missions in the book of Acts. And I'm their professor. So I get to put my professor hat on at least once a week. So the Lord called them and here's where they go. They go 16 miles if you're taking notes to Seleucia. That's the port of Antioch. And from there, they will, they will sail 130 miles due west to this place. And I'll show you. It's a beautiful place. In Paul's day, Cyprus was the Bahamas and Hawaii of today. If you go due east of that island there, go due island country due east. Uh, well, there you see Lebanon in the bottom right. Just go up north to, to Antioch of Syria. But on the right side of the island, the eastern side of the island, you see it, Salamis, that's the port. Okay? And if you read your Bibles closely, you'll notice that's where they landed. But they ended up preaching on the far western shore of the island. How did they get there? They walked. They, there was no Uber. There were no Uber camels. They were just walk. So they made their way through mountainous area. Cyprus is beautiful, by the way. It's a beautiful island country. Arrive in Salamis, and they go due west, and that's where they meet the demon, the demon girl. And that's where Paul says, okay, I've had enough of you, demon girl, and he casts the demon out. And because of that, her employer begins to lose all of his profits, and so they, they beat these guys. And then from there, they'll sail on off into places like Philippi where Paul and Silas will be incarcerated and they will be beaten. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought God called them. Surely God's not going to call them to do something difficult and they're going to suffer. That's Americanized Christianity. Our, our Americanized Christianity is it's about me. It's for my comfort. I, I need my coffee. I need you to look a certain way. I need the music to sound a certain way. And then it's all about me. But in New Testament Christianity, it's all about Christ. It's all about honoring him and worshiping him and saying, God, if it costs me my life, then it costs me my life. That is genuine, authentic, bona fide Christianity. Not this crappy version, excuse my language, this crappy version of Christianity we have concocted in America where it costs us nothing. I wonder if Jesus even recognizes our religion sometimes. (laughs) 
I shouldn't say crap. I probably shouldn't. I'm sorry. Save the letters and the emails. I went ahead and apologized, okay? Tonight, as I was sitting on the plane, I was approaching my land for the very first time. I found myself consumed with thought. This is a trip I've been longing to make for nearly two years, and it's been a long time coming. Despite all that, however, I can't help but realize that I really have no idea what the Father is going to do. We're going in. We have not been invited. It's a hostile, difficult country. We have no significant contacts in this country. It's totally relationship-focused, and without a clear picture of what exactly we want to see happen, we're clueless. We have no plan, really, and we don't even have anybody to introduce us. We're simply hoping And we're praying that we will bump into the right people and they will somehow be interested enough to give us a job. Yeah, for all that, there's something incredibly exciting. And this captures my heart. And I look out the window at the setting sun, knowing that I will awake tomorrow in the city that is soon to become my home. Above all, I'm so excited I'm so excited to see how the Father is going to turn all of this nothing into something and something great at that. I feel a lot like Esther tonight when nothing became something. Mordecai said, and who knows, but what you have come to such a royal position for such a time as this. Indeed, for such a time as this but I don't feel very royal. I don't even really really have the first clue what I'm doing, God, much less carry out the work that lies ahead. At the same time, I do seem to remember that I've been given a crown, a robe, and the authority of the king. What's more, I recognize that, like Esther, my royal position isn't the result of a birthright, but of association, association, of the child bride of the king. It's a student of mine. I was his professor and he wrote this letter. A brilliant young man, he, an engineering major from the University of <coughs> Alabama. <coughs> uh, hurts me to say it, Alabama. Flying into JM land. By the way, I still pray for him. Three days a week, I pray for him. He said, when I landed, uh, the Department of Education, we went to them and said, is there anything we can do for you? The official called us back the next day, ecstatic, and met with us and the entire staff for over an hour. And they said, these lost pagan people in an island country said, we've been waiting for a long time for people like you to come and help us. Then the men in charge of training the teachers gave the team a tour of some of the schools. It's amazing how God is working and giving favor to those who step out and go on mission with him. Can't even say his name. But God knows who he is. Um, I wonder, in a message like this and... 
And this always happens to me when I, when I preach the Bible, when I just stay in the text. I get so passionate. I get so fired up. What is God saying to you today? I really believe, and that's why I asked Daniel to pray, because I really believe God's saving people. And God's saving us out of our, our sin and maybe even out of our religion. He's calling us to himself, calling us to die, die to self, and yet be born again unto eternal life. You say, how, do, how does that happen? It's real simple, and yet it's incredibly profound. What, what you bring is you say, God, I am a sinner, and I need salvation. And God says, thank you. I'll take it from here. <laughs> he said, Lord, I believe. I'm trusting in you to be my Savior and my Lord. Forgive me, oh God. I give my life to you. And I'm just really uber, hyper curious. Who is that? If it's you online, just type in there, it's me. It's me. If you're here today, then you would say, that's me. I'm giving my life to Christ. I mean, I'm genuinely giving my life to the Lord. Not this pseudo-conversion, not this going through the motions and playing church. I mean, I'm really giving my life to Christ today. Then praise God, we welcome you. In fact, I'm going to pray in just a moment. And when I pray, our, our band and our team, they're going to come up. We're going to praise God. We're going to worship. And then you're going to see people leave. Now, they're not mad. They're not angry. They're going into the great hall. There's counselors, men and women who are going to receive those of you who pray to receive Christ. And you go back there and just, all you got to do is come up to them saying, it's me. I prayed with the, the pastor, received Christ. And we baptized the guy that did that just a few months ago, baptized John right over here. I'm pointing over here because there's a feed trough kind of thing. And we baptized him. Maybe that's you. You'd say, I'm ready to receive Christ today. Some of you. <laughs> <laughs> he's calling you he's calling you to serve him to get on a plane and go to a place that you have no idea what you're going to do but the call of God is on your life and the worst thing you could do is say no and stay at Great Hills Baptist Church you're going to be miserable and to be honest you're going to make me miserable the greatest persecution I receive as a pastor, it happened just the other day, from people who are called and they said no. And they take it out on me. Just little old me, Philip, why me? I don't understand that. All my life, all my ministry, the people who have given me the greatest grief were called men and women of God who said no to Jesus and they get angry at me. I don't understand that. Don't be that person. If God is calling you to serve, Jennifer, some women, would you talk to them? Daniel, if there's some men, would you talk to them? Say, it's me, Lord. And you may be listening to us in Virginia and Florida and New York. And the, I'm not making places up, people. It's amazing how many people are tuning us in right now. If God's calling you, surrender. Let us help you. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. I believe the call to ministry is the call to prepare. So say, God, here I am, and I want to serve you. And so lead me, Lord, to the place you'd have me to prepare. 39 people through Great Hills. That's awesome. Thank you, Lord. 
All right, so I'm going to pray for us, and we'll have our invitation. And then a small group of us are going to meet about planting another church, which I'm really excited about. Before I pray, can I just say something to y'all? I said, well, sure, go right ahead. Um, there's a small group of us meeting about a church plant up in Liberty Hill today. And of all Sundays, I preach on this text. I'm just not that smart, people. I, there's no way I could orchestrate God calling some of us, some of you out to go and plant just like he did in Acts 13. God, you're amazing. And Lord, we worship you today through prayer, through fasting, through seeking the face of God. Listen, friend, I'm going to pray for you. And I really want you just to hear my heart and bow your head, close your eyes. Please don't turn the TV off right now or the computer or your phone, your tablet. Just please listen in for a moment. And those of you that are gathered here in our sanctuary, in our worship center, I'm praying for you that you would say yes to the Lord. Surrender your life to him. It could be that you're surrendering to salvation and the call to preach all in the same time. That actually happens, by the way. And if that's happening to you, then, then just surrender to the Lord. We will help you. We will walk with you. Some of you are like, look, I'm interested in being saved, but I don't think God's called me to be no you know, missionary. I'm, okay, then get saved. That's awesome. And see what God does in your life. Okay, but you can pray with me. It goes like this. If you're unsure, if you don't know, then pray with me. Just say it quietly in your heart and you're online and you say it quietly in your room, in your car. Just say, dear God, I love you. Forgive me. I give it all to you. I give my life to you. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. I turn away from my sin and I'm giving you my life today January 24th 2021 oh friend look if that's you we're inviting you you go to that great hall you go right out those doors and you meet one of these men and women who are there ready to pray with you encourage you if you're here and you're surrendering and you're thinking about call of God upon your life to minister to serve you go in that great hall let somebody talk to you your own line type it in say it's me and Leighton, and they will follow up with you and we will get your information and we will help you and encourage you. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that you're working in our land. And, and Lord, these are some dark days, some difficult days, but God, the light shines the brightest when the, when the night's the darkest. So we love you and we're praising you, Lord. Now, Lord, as we enter into one more song of worship, I pray God had come from the heart. Lord, there'd be voices raised and arms extended and there would be a time of saying, Jesus, you're worthy and we love you and we surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Would y'all stand to your feet? God bless you. Our team is here. They're ready to lead us in a song. Let's praise the Lord. And those of you that are giving your life to Christ, you go on to the great hall. We'll meet you there. People will share with you more. God bless you as you sing.